problem thanks to the feedback effect. The feedback effect works in only in one way. That's yesterday's conclusion. Now on the price formation of capital goods or the producer goods if you like, the process is similar um, except that some theorems need, need to be reformulated slightly differently. Now, um, please note that um, in the formation of or in the market of capital goods there is vertical arbitrage, we've discussed this at length, uh, but it takes place between several levels of the market. And the market of goods destined for the end user, the consumer that is, is at the lowest level. It is closest to the um, consumer. Now under an unadulterated gold standard, this consumer would be paying for gold for his purchases. I'm saying that because this is, after all, um, a course concentrated on, on um, the use of gold and why it should be. But um, never, this doesn't detract from the laws and the theorems that are formulated here. Because with paper money, you're also at the bottom, you need to pay for your goods. The producer of these goods and these goods that are in high demand by the consumer, um, all these goods need some, some kind of machinery, some kind of capital goods, some kind of input, and not only machinery, uh, to arrive at the end, at, at the end product. Um, obviously, you don't get that at the bottom level. You will go to a higher level to acquire all these inputs. Um, I have to add that the use of the word product is also meant to include a service. For instance, a haircut is a service, as menial as it is, but it is in demand with the consumer, at least some consumers. Some females are higher demand. So to arrive at uh, a haircut, you would, you would need several ingredients, um, one of which is a skilled barber, um, probably some scissors, what have you. Now, note that the role of the producer of these uh, products and services is the one who is least remote from the ultimate uh, paying consumer, and his role is dominant. The role of the producer at a higher level of the scissors, his role is, is more remote from the person who needs the haircut, and his role is subordinate seems obvious, but it is. Um, this principle is not the principle of sovereignty, it is called, well, the principle of imputation. Now, if we extend the marginal analysis, what we have been doing um, the last few days, um, we can extend that fairly easily to the price formation of, of any good the nth order of goods, it's, it's a bit of an abstraction, of, of course. And we can say that the asked price, in this case, is the outcome, as usual, of competition of the user of the nth order good, doing some horizontal arbitrage with one-legged straddles, as you know. 
if we have to do this in more detail, the asked price of an nth order of good X marks the point where, uh, as you know, the opportunity cost of buying an additional unit of X becomes critical to the marginal user of X. He is the first among the producers of goods of the order below that in refusing to buy the uptick. Because, you know, in view of his opportunity to buy a substitute, he can say, well, I don't want a haircut in this place, I'll go with the haircut with the French guy around the corner. His uh, style is better, whatever. The bid price of an nth order good is the outcome of competition of producers doing vertical arbitrage between goods of uh, order n and n plus one, one level higher, uh, in this case using a two-legged uh, straddle. If we take this in more detail, the bid price of the nth order good is the point where the opportunity cost of, now for a producer, selling an additional unit becomes critical to the marginal user, uh, sorry, marginal producer, um, in view of his opportunity in refusing to sell Sorry, in, in, in refusing to buy the producer goods that go as an input. If we make this less abstract, um, we can use um, we can use a tractor, for instance. Um, inputs for the output can be sourced from from different suppliers. The farm, the farmer is the user of the tractor and the tractor manufacturer, he would buy what? Steel, glass, seats, engines, tires, hydraulics, um, I'm not even, well, there's thousands probably of um, pieces that go into a tractor. Um, but they are purchased at a higher level and the manufacturer Choosing at this highest, at a higher level, he, he can choose his supplier. Uh, he's doing this this horizontal arbitrage at one level higher. Uh, so we can recapitulate this using tires. I think tires are a good example. Tires are the nth good, and the asked price of a tractor tire of the brand Continental, for instance marks the point where the opportunity cost of buying an additional set of continental tires becomes critical to the tractor manufacturer by the name of whatever, John Deere. And there are several uh, tractor manufacturers. Now he is the first among this group of tractor producers in refusing to buy the uptick in continental tires in view of his opportunity to buy a substitute from Pirelli. He got a better deal at Pirelli and they threw in a little trip to Italy. So, yeah, why not? That's free market. The uh, other side is the bid price. We've just done the ask price. The bid price of the Continental tractor tires is, of course, the outcome of the competition of producers of tires doing vertical arbitrage between, well, rubber supplies, steel supplies, whatever goes into a tire. And the bid price of continental tires marks the point 
where the opportunity cost of selling an additional set of, con of continental <coughs> tires to the tractor manufacturers becomes critical to the marginal producer of these tires in view of his opportunity in refusing to buy rubber from his supplier, his usual supplier, and choosing to switch to, well, I don't know, another supplier, I suppose. <coughs> that is what vertical arbitrage is all about. We've described the theorems, we've made them a bit more from the theoretical to the practical. There are a few other things that need to be said also. It is, in fact, not uncommon for certain goods to be at certain different levels. And I've taken diamonds as an example um, because they are at the level of the consumer. I don't need to explain that, I suppose. But they also are at the higher level. Um, diamonds are used mainly, in fact, in abrasive products. Um, you can find them um, in abrasive material, but also in drills and in industrial drills and industrial machines. And the bulk of diamonds um, is sold for that purpose. Not all diamonds can be one and a half carat, absolutely fi very fine quality blue colored diamonds. You would separate them from from your lot of diamonds that are not used in, in, in abrasive uh, products and you, you would sell them obviously in the, in the market for the consumer. Now, using diamonds, I can just as well say that you can use um, <coughs> coal and platinum. They both have different levels at which you can um, use them. Um, they can be used in consumption, they can be used in industrial applications. Whenever a product is in fact uh, both at, an, at two different levels, the mth and the nth order of, of goods, we may assume that um, as far as the, the formation of the asked price and the bid price also, they each take place at a different level. So there's not one each take place at, at a different level, but if there is a tradable difference between those end levels, and you can feel you can feel me coming here. There's a tradable spread. You can fill in the blanks. Of course, arbitrage and ar arbitrageurs will come in and, and close that spread. Before the smartest of you. Um, will say, hey, 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 there is a, an exception. I will, I will, of course, gladly say there is an exception. That is in the forward market. Um, trading trading companies, uh, copper traders, diamond, not diamond traders, um, but trading companies in general, they, they have usually forward sales contracts. And not only trading companies, if I think of, a, for instance, a, a Carrefour or a Tesco or, or a, you know, <coughs> Think of your own country, um, these, these giant suppliers of, of uh, consumer goods, they all sell vegetables, don't think they buy them all in one central place. You know, the Carrefour does order locally from the local farmers and they even have forward contracts. Um, same goes for mining companies, 
and in this case of the diamonds mining company the beers for instance sells its um, diamonds as far as I know ten times a year on, on, on auctions um, these um, auctions are attended by a hand-picked number of preferred uh, dealers who are well oiled but you can say also copper traders um, copper traders may be not only using um, the, the, the inputs and the well, they, they may be doing some proprietary trading and they um, trade for their own account um, but a trader in copper and a trader in, in any commodity basically has one essential <coughs> element for him would be his access to product of course and in obtaining access to product, be that copper, be that diamonds, he, he, he would need basically forward contracts. Now he would probably build up a reputation which is also an asset because um, as a trader you, you need to have the reputation of being a very liable counterparty otherwise you will be blown out of the water and nobody will come to you to either purchase or sell stuff to you if you're not um, a reliable trader. Tr traders have intangible assets like a reputation for instance. Now industrial uh, users of, of platinum and coal and diamond and, and all sorts of commodities they would be uh, contractually prevented from reselling their inventory that they've purchased uh, again, on, on uh, the same market, of course, that would uh, preempt. That would preempt all the efforts. There, there would be no purpose then. Um, but needless to say that these forward contracts would be beneficial under certain circumstances to all the suppliers uh, who would seek some some form of security because they don't know the future um, to a degree. Now, um, I said that we picked up the pace. We've been 10 minutes into this um, expose. Um, and this concludes, in fact, the topic on price formation of capital goods. We've seen how um, vert vertical arbitrage is done on different levels where um, the tractor manufacturer sources all his products and has on at each level the opportunity to do some horizontal arbitrage and, and look for different suppliers. We now have a finished product, we now have a finished tractor, it's a beautiful tractor that is ready for um, the end user, the consumer of a tractor would obviously be not you and me, it would be a farmer. We can now explain that the ask price of a tractor is formed by the competition of the farmers bidding, you know, bidding for the price of the tractor. The ask price in this case is of course uh, the sticker price in the showroom of the John Deere tractor dealership. Now the sticker price of a tractor is not 
an example that I've used arbitrarily because if you have read the professor's work, it should ring a bell. Anyone? Then I will explain it to you. We've seen now that um, a tractor manufacturer in capital goods needs lots of inputs, but one of his inputs, which we haven't treated here, and which, which we are treating now, is capital. He, only, he doesn't only need, of course, to purchase tires, and he purchases the services of engineers and, and um, manpower to produce it and, and, and to put it all together. He also needs capital. He can amass capital himself, but he can also borrow some capital. But even if he has amassed some capital of his own, it comes at a price. If it's his own capital, it comes at the price of the opportunity cost of investing it somewhere else, possibly with a higher return. But the, one of the ingredients of, of, of an entrepreneurship is uh, capital. And um, let's not forget that capital having a price too, it has of course as we know by now, two prices, which is a bit an ask. Now, in what uh, follows, I will, from now on, um, discuss the hexagonal model of, of capital markets. It can be found on the internet, as I've said. But please bear with me, and I have to ask you, if you have questions, please keep them for after the expose, because otherwise we will never arrive here at a formation of interest rates. Um, the formation of interest rates is the price of capital. The price of capital is one of the inputs of this tractor, and it is essential. And I will couple back to the tractor at the end of the expose. The formation of interest rates is what we discuss now, and it is what brought us here. Um, I will refrain from um, referring to traditional uh, economics, because you can find that out all by yourself, uh, what a mechanism is, how they explain the formation of um, interest rates. You can find it on Wikipedia, you can leave it there and forget about it. Um, there is one element in um, all these theories of interest, which is not discussed and it's not even considered uh, in the traditional models, um, and, and they cannot even do so either. And it's the time element. Now, anybody who is um, acquainted with with money knows that time is an essential element. So it's, it's unfortunate that the traditional economic models do not use time as an element. They cannot, because they haven't devised the proper tools yet. I say yet because, of course, Professor Fekete has uh, devised it a long time ago. Um, he did not. Uh, get up one morning and say, okay, which economist can we annoy today? 
we'll let's invent something um, that will um, annoy Paul Krugman. He didn't do so. He, he has considerable uh, effort and time in devising this model, and it, it should be should be exposed uh, to the general public because this this is something I can explain to anybody who asks. Um, the traditional ISLM model, uh, for some of you who have done some economics, I failed that subject. What does the ISLM stand for? ISLM model. Is it a curve that resembles, yeah. um, the IS curve resembles investments, government spendings, and um, whatever? An economy and the LM curve resembles the monetary supply, monetary liquidity, yeah, liquidity and monetary supply. Uh, um, Sandeep, don't worry. <laughs> really. it's don't basically, it's like demand and supply, uh, <laughs> and you just uh, move the curves right. along the other curve by yeah. uh, increasing government spending or decreasing government spending or increasing money, money supply or decreasing money supply. It's, it's in fact a non-starter because it's an equilibrium model from, this, from the beginning and it, it each curve is a, is a collection, is a set of equilibria. Oh, we're compounding the error now. <laughs> Forget it. Um, this model, we start the hexagonal model, we start with four points because we have to build this up. Um, we start with the square model and the square model is built around the need uh, to convert income into capital and capital into income. Now, typically, and I've used here um, the professor's wording also, the annuitant and the annuitant, uh, one with a D and one with a T, but we distinguish between them on the axle where time is expressed. And I've put that time or age to make it a bit more visible. Now, typically, the annuitant with a D is would be the younger person who is looking to start a family, and, and you know, he, he goes out to work and, and provides for himself, for his family, puts some savings aside um, for emergencies. Now, that's that's his role. Now, um, contrast that to the older person, the uh, retiree who has worked all his life. Um, he has obviously the wealth and he needs to convert that into income because at his age working is uh, well less of an option let's say whereas the annuitant with a D is of course the younger person he has no wealth unless inherited or won the lottery or something in which case he probably quickly lose it but he needs to build up his capital and he needs he has income but no wealth, and the annuitant with a T has wealth but no income. That's the problem, how do we exchange that? On the vertical axis, I've put <coughs> interest. Interest, not discount, interest. From zero to whatever the scale may be. What is CF? That would be the floor and the ceiling, but uh, that I'll come to that, that there's two rates of interest. Um, On the one hand, the annuitant, the older person, and I'm, I, I love this word, annuitant with a T, sounds much better than retiree. 
So the um, annuitant um, with a T, his need to convert wealth into income can be answered if he, well, uh, let's refrain from the word investment because, well, okay, let's use the word investment. He can find a company, an entrepreneur, and give him or enter into a contract with an entrepreneur who is willing to share the extra proceeds that he would make from the capital injection, from the wealth of the annuitant, and in the form of dividends, interest, whatever, you know, it's in, in, in financial algebra, it's all the same. It's a cash flow. The cash flow goes back from the entrepreneur to the annuitant with a team. He could, they could enter into a contract. I haven't put a certain interest on that yet because we will come to that. On the other side of the uh, axle, the uh, younger side, we have the young, the youngster who is still accumulating his wealth. What could he do? Well, you know, in order to save some time and in, in to increase productivity, he could enter into a contract with an inventor. We call him the inventor because this is now the research, research and development uh, partner. <coughs> some of his income he, he will spend with the inventor to devise some tools for him so he can work faster. He needs a computer, he needs small machinery so he can produce more labor in one unit of time and of course that helps in the creation of wealth. They could enter into a contract. Now let's note here that um, it is The relative position of the top half of this graph, the inventor and the entrepreneur, they would absolutely be at no point or nowhere if there wouldn't be an interest rate. Let's also see here that the people, the annuitant with the TLD, they would they have opposing interests because they would ask the highest possible return for the money they would invest with both the inventor and the entrepreneur, whereas the inventor and the entrepreneur would have the opposing view and say, well, you know, we can't pay that much, we need, we can only afford this much. So they have opposing interests. And in uh, this graph, it's not just any graph, um, when interests are zero, when there is no real interest, note that the inventor and the entrepreneur cannot survive. Their role is reduced to zero. There's nothing to do for them. Because both the annuitant with a T and a D can simply go on with their lives. The one will work and hoard gold in, as time progresses and the annuitant with a T, the retiree, 
can this hoard some gold and purchase um, whatever he needs? So there's hoarding on this side, there's this hoarding on that side. There is no interest rate. He will, they will, they can convert, they can live. But what are the inventor and the uh, entrepreneur going to do? There's, there's, in the absence of interest rates, there's nothing to do for them. Now, the entrepreneur and the inventor are the losers if, if, if exchanges uh, would, would dry up. Uh, for them, the zero, interest, uh, in the zero interest is an insurmountable obstacle to capital formation. Now, this this impairment in the bargaining position of, of these parties can be reduced and can be improved by the services of a fifth protagonist because up to now we had four protagonists we introduce the fifth protagonist um, because we pass from the square model now to a pentagonal model and we introduce another very important person called the capitalist. Just picture this as the marginal entrepreneur and the marginal inventor. Those are the persons who've just missed entering into a contract with the annuitants they've missed their opportunity of a direct exchange but that would be a waste because this you know they can still do some more and they could enter into a partnership between themselves the inventor and the entrepreneur if it were not that we need some kind of credit because we have to bridge time Because if they do enter into a partnership, this partnership will actually be long of present wealth and short of future wealth. And in as much as the present and the future wealth are not exchangeable, in the absence of credit, this partnership is not viable. Save for some kind of Messinas who is willing to give credit. He will get his capital back at a later stage. Now the rise of, of, of the capitalist is, is, is now explained and it's not explained in terms of exploitation as, as one can hear in some corners of political philosophy. Um, but it is explained in terms of services of, of, of a that is only a specialist uh, would be able to provide. And these services are, of course, in demand by the partnership of, of the marginal entrepreneur and the marginal um, inventor. And the former is the entrepreneur who has just missed his chance to, to form a partnership with the annuitant, with the T, and the latter is the inventor who has just missed his chance to form a partnership with the annuitant, with a D. 
and without the services of this capitalist, they would, uh, their, their talents would be lost. In, you, you will not find this theory anywhere. Don't look for it. Krugman um, or any other person. Um, the, I mean, theorists, theory up to now doesn't catch up with uh, the Professor Fiketis theory of capital formation here. Now, please bear me with me because I will arrive uh, at this, uh, the sixth protagonist and the formation of um, interest rates. But we still have not been able to determine a proper rate. Now, if we enter a capitalist, that's a third competitor, or at least it's a competitor who would be bringing down interest rates from high levels. The annuitants on the bottom here would be asking high interest rates. This is, I mean, this is not, this is history. Before the capitalist entered, what did we have? We had medieval Europe. There were no capitalists, and I'm not restricting myself to Europe, but, you know, the, the fall of the Roman Empire in the fourth century caused heavy damage. Uh, people had to survive. And in the time frame of then, the Christian time frame, um, anything that looked like interest was condemned as usury. Interest rates were, for all intents and purposes, at zero. There was no role for the inventor, the entrepreneur, nor the capitalist. Still, people survived. There were, of course, ways and means, and you will find this in, 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 in the good book of uh, Huerta de Soto, um, which is a rather thick uh, book, but well worth a read. Also, um, if, if I think back of, of the um, Arab world at that time, the Arab world of the 6th century, they had, they had waterworks, they had engineers. And I'm not sure if they had uh, capital, well, they certainly didn't have capitalists. Um, but they had, well, the Rome, well, they inherited this also from, from the Romans. They were, um, they were an advanced stage of development. Yet, it's the Western world who developed the idea of the capitalist, and they ran with it. If the Arab world, or I'm not sure about the Far East, about India and, and China, uh, I'm unable to make any statement on that. But I would say if they had the invention of both uh, double entry bookkeeping and, and the capitalist, they would probably, the world would probably be different from what we know now. So the, the um, invention of Luca Pacioli's uh, double entry bookkeeping in the 14th century and the capitalist, and I'm referring to the Medici, the Medici bankers, also merchant bankers, but also capitalists, you know, the roles can be the same, were essential in the development of the Western world. You will not find this 
in any in any theory um, that has been written up to now. But coming back to um, interest rates and the formation of interest rates, um, we, we see here that the need for the formation of an interest rate is far from uh, being fundamental because we can do with zero interest rates also. So the interest rate, the need for an interest rate arrives at the margin. Those inventors and those entrepreneurs who have been lost out somehow. There is a valid way of bringing down interest rates and that's to enhance the bargaining power of the partnership, uh, the partnership of the entrepreneur and the, in and the inventor vis-a-vis -vis, of course the annuitant and the, the people on the bottom of the graph here who would be asking far too much. Um, the, capital, the capitalist is the only actor that can offer competition for this monopoly as a result of this competition the rate of interests can be reduced extreme from extremely high levels and please you know note that uh, that can be done without damaging the interests of the annuitants provided we are in gold on a gold standard There we go. So um, we have arrived at um, the final stage, and I think we have about 20 minutes left, which is fine. We have arrived at the final stage of explaining the hexagonal model of capital markets. Hexagonal model means that we have six corners, of course. Up to now, we had five. The participants so far were both the annuitant with a D, the annuitant with a T, the entrepreneur, the inventor, and the capitalist. And the last protagonist here in this drama, which we can call the drama of human action, uh, would be the investment uh, banker. The investment banker's function, and I'm referring back to, for instance, the Medici, family, but there's several others. Um, his function would be clearing and brokering. His role would be to match various maturities and various demands thrown at him from all other five corners here. He is now a specialist. He is the market maker market maker in what market? In the gold bond market. This is now where funds are being borrowed from one another at an interest. And when we speak about interest, there are two rates of interest. There's a floor and a ceiling rate. And under an unadulterated gold standard, the floor of interest rate, the floor of interests, uh, would be determined by the um, marginal 
time preference and the ceiling rate would be determined by the marginal productivity. Now, let me quickly explain these. I'm going to use the definitions that Professor Fekete have has uh, given them. The floor is the rate at which the opportunity cost of holding a bond becomes critical to the marginal bondholder. There is a flow rate of interest. When it goes too low, so at the next downtick in the interest rate, the critical or the marginal bondholder will sell the bond in view of his opportunity to carry um, wealth in the form of, of, of gold, which is a present good. So who holds? Who is the bond holder? The bond holder is, of course, the bottom here, huh? the annuitant, with a T or a D. Now, the ceiling for the rate, I mean, rates cannot go through the roof either. The ceiling rate of interest is determined by the marginal productivity of capital. Now that is the rate of cap the, the, the rate at which the opportunity cost of carrying capital stock becomes critical to the marginal entrepreneur. Now the word entrepreneur is on the f is on uh, the board here. So at the next uptick in the rate of interest, he will sell the stock in view of his opportunity to carry his earning interest in the form of a higher yielding gold bond. So basically, what this is saying is the entrepreneur will say, well, I'm, I'm done entrepreneuring, I'm going into bonds. When the interest rate goes too high. Can you follow? Is everybody with me? It's a lot easier to hold a bond than being an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends on your mind set, I suppose. So, I mean, rates, rates under a gold standard would be not as high as to as as for every entrepreneur to become a coupon clipper, if we may say so. Um, rates would be a bit too low for that, but uh, rates are not that low because then um, in protest of the too low rates, the annuitants would withdraw their capital from the bond market. So, bugger this. There is always arbitrage behind these. Yes. But, I mean, this is just a bird's eye view, so we cannot put into details, but every adjustment is the result of some type of arbitrage. Right, and this is um, where we come back to the role of the investment banker because, um, you know, Sandeep has touched on the role of bankers in today's society, but under a gold standard, um, another, another 
adulterated gold standard, the role of the investment banker is the market maker. He is the arbitrageur. And he's not the only arbitrageur. I mean, every party in here can do some horizontal arbitrage and some vertical arbitrage. They have the opportunity. <coughs> so I thought this was important to uh, highlight because we have been talking about horizontal and vertical arbitrage of the role of uh, all the protagonists. Now, it has to be said that the very same disequilibrium model that we have, that the professor has invented, because I didn't come up with this, it's not my work, I just drew the graph here. Um, this graph I can explain, um, as I said, but I cannot explain any other ISLM curve, it's too difficult. The same model here is also valid with a few adaptions um, for a fiat-based or a paper-based monetary system. Um, but of course now what determines the flow rate of interest and what determines the ceiling rate of interest, now we have to develop another theory because of course um, it is as far as the flow rate of interest is concerned, that is now determined by marginal um, liquidity uh, preferences, which also goes by the, the name of the yield curve here. And the ceiling rate um, is also determined by the marginal, uh, but this is now, listen carefully, by the marginal productivity of speculation. And I didn't do this here, but under a fiat-based system, the ceiling and the floor would be wide apart, as we have experienced, as we have seen. Just picture the interest rates between 1980 and now. Well, you know, you can go much further back, and if you go really further back, you will see, you will see that the spreads narrow, coming back to... Um, gold standard and under the gold standard the spreads would be narrow but this would be the system that's behind it no the reason why I wanted to explain this formation of the interest rate is the following. We have devised carefully the sticker price of our tractor. We know it is the outcome of a bidding process and there is a brand new tractor in our showroom and just for argument's sake we are <coughs> the 31st of December and we've taken delivery of a brand new tractor in the showroom and we push it in and we are living in reality so um, back from the gold standard we are now in the fiat system and 
the next morning as a gift, if you can say, the president of the Reserve Bank announces another interest rate. Can go up or down. But let's say, for argument's sake, interest rates are up. Quarter of a percent even, but uh, that. You may say, say, well, so what? Not so what. I'll explain you so what. Because the sticker price of that tractor has, hasn't changed. But what will change is the following. When interest rates rise, and this is without the tractor hasn't, without the tractor even moving, all the tractors in your showroom lose value instantly. Interest rates rises, net present value drops. Why have they lost value? It's brand new. Well, no farmer in his right mind will pay the old price, knowing that the contribution of this tool, which is the tractor, and which has an ex a life expectancy of, let's say, one million hours, whatever time that is, one million working hours, and the contribution to wealth can be divided per hour, per time, you know, that represents a cash flow. And that is limited, that is a given, it doesn't change, let's assume. Well, you don't have to assume it is, it doesn't change, I mean, it's designed to work for a million hours. You cannot wish or make that tractor double his lifetime without, you know, you know, without pushing up costs, but then that defeats the purpose. So, without any change to this tractor's physical condition, the value has been slashed simply because Whatever the cash flow represents that this tractor can do every year and every year, you can harvest one time a year, three times a year. Let's, let's assume the weather is no factor because weather conditions are normally distributed. doesn't matter. You can ignore that. You can only gain X amount of cash flows. But now comes in time. Those cash flows are discounted at the present interest rate to today's to a number a net present number no farmer in his right mind will pay more than what this tractor will contribute if he can make from this tractor a single number of three million he would be out of his mind to pay three million point one Less, yes, more, you crazy. He'll be out of pocket. This comes back 
coupling back to the sticker price, we know, we've carefully designed the theory, you know, what determines the price of the, of the tractor? Well, the new price of the tractor is determined by the competition of the farmers, the end users. And the present value of future income that buyers expect to derive from its use will determine that price. Since that income is, is, is now discounted at a higher interest rate, the new price will have to be lower. That is, that is mathematics. If you fight that, you will, you will end up paying too much. And of course, capital goods, like tractors that have already been deployed in production, they are not spared either because they also lose value instantly. In fact, if interest rates rise, the net present value of your tractor, which is now, you know, has, has already used half a million of his working hours, will, it, you know, you continue to use it, but instead of lasting you 20 years or 10 years, it will not last you that long. I mean, you will fail to maintain it because it's not productive at that rate of interest. It will cost you more than it will deliver, making it a bad proposition. And we all know that interest rates can rise, but they also can drop. And you can think, hey, hooray, savior. Unfortunately <coughs> not. Because the loss of value is, in fact, irreversible. The loss of value is irreversible because you scrapped your investments. They are not to come back into production. And you probably as a farmer, you would have scratched your head and said, well, bugger this, I'm going into bonds. I'm not doing any farming anymore. Because sub-marginal capital will actually be withdrawn from production. It will no longer be maintained. And even if interest rates come down later, value is gone. It's evaporated. Just showing that, and I'm still within my time limits, that um, the carefully designed sticker price of the tractor is all good and well, but please do not forget that these capital goods may be marginalized, and it's out of your control. Uh, they're marginalized by interest rates. This is maybe a message that defeats or puts defeatist thoughts into any entrepreneur, but under a gold standard. Um, luckily, interest rates don't gyrate and you do not have to worry so much about the sticker price changing at all. I mean, there would be slight variations, but not worth your while. And that um, is around trip for today. Now, I realize I have um, picked up the pace. Why is this not moving? Can you point out the uh, relevance of this to the topic? Don't get discouraged if this was too condensed, because this is really the subject 
of another course which is coming, not in this session, but in a future session. So this is very, very highly condensed. Yes. But, but Peter brought this in for a reason, and I don't think I have heard the reason why this is relevant to the this is, Well, this is relevant to the topic of, uh, of arbitrage because the role of the investment uh, banker is to is to match maturities and to match demands from all five corners and his, his role is to close the bid ask spread on the interest well on the bid on, on the interest rates he can bring down the ceiling, well, his role and his, uh, his very existence would bring down interest rates to acceptable levels and then he can um, do the necessary arbitrage. He's the market maker, he can, he can purchase at the lowest and sell at the highest. Now, um, gold bonds have, of course, um, also two rates by ceiling and floor. But his role is, is pivotal. Um, both the, the capitalist and the, um, the yeah, investment sure. banker. It's, it's a fine example of arbitrage. Yes. But what's the relevance to the uh, uh, price formation of uh, higher order capital goods? The relevance of price formation of higher order capital goods is that in capital goods, it's not only your input components like bolts, nuts, steel, glass, seats, tires, what have you, in order to arrive at a tractor. You know, the, un the enterprise from the entrepreneur consists more than an inventory full of, of, of stuff. He needs skilled workmen to put it together. He needs an an accountant to keep the books, he needs plans, but he also needs capital. So he needs to purchase capital, or he, ha if, but obviously he hasn't amassed enough capital, um, he, he needs to borrow some capital, and that capital is another input. It is not on the end level, in the basket input, but it is part of the uh, inputs that he would need. Yes? Uh, <coughs> all this stuff is financial and it's great, but what the professor calls a pipeline, an engineer would call a black box. You take stuff in and you transform it to some other stuff coming out. Basket of input, basket of output. So your uh, thesis is that the, the efficiency of the black box or its operation is affected by interest rates, by education level of people, by human resources, innovation, inventor, they all make this tractor manufacturing process more efficient, basically, or less efficient. More so, efficient. Well, hopefully, yes. But some of the interest rate inputs can make it less efficient if the cost of capital goes up. Okay. So the spread that is uh, profitable is not strictly determined by the spread, but by what? losses there are in this black box. If it can survive on a 5% spread, 
or if it won't serve in a 10% spread. So by, by changing the parameters of the black box, you know, take, take advantage of um, different spreads more, it's more, it becomes more or less efficient. And I thought that was very interesting that, uh, I don't know if anybody heard the earth, felt the earth shake, I did, when he said the, in, the um, <coughs> income tax shifted the playing field. If, you're, if you, you accumulate capital with no income tax, you get an advantage to those who accumulate with income tax, obviously it was easier. And as the income tax grows over years and years, this gets worse and worse. And I consider it as sort of the flip side of destruction of capital with the falling interest rates. As the interest rates continue going down, more and more capital is destroyed. And out of the gate, you can't even accumulate capital because in, uh, the um, you know, taxes are increasing. And all this stuff, this tax, for example, affects the efficiency of the black box. And of course, the cost of capital affects it. You have hit the nail on the head. If you are saying that taxes are an insidious form of slavery, I would say yes. Well, why is, uh, you know, I think Singapore, 85% of the people living there are millionaires um, because they, they keep 90% of what they earn. And this translated into not just being rich, but having capital available to do all this stuff. Is that true? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Is that? Um, Anybody? Uh, no. I don't think. So, well, these, there's a few free, relatively free, right, low yes. tax mm. venues. People are generally rich over, you know, the, from the age, as the age goes on, they get to keep what they yeah. earn or whatever. The, and this compounds. Yeah. Well, let's, let's not take, tax, you know, adding taxes adds another layer of complexity. Of you know, if you say that interest, uh, what I've said was that in your black box, it is essential that the input that comes in, and one of those inputs is the price of capital. It's not only the price of tires, but the price of capital is also an input. Yeah, and that needs to be absolutely, please, absolutely stable yes. because otherwise it will wreak havoc. With taxes, your black box has a leak. There's input going in, and some of it is not coming out. It's being sucked out by the tax. Taxes, I consider a, a form of a parasitical element. And it is, it is there because they have the guns, in essence. Guns and badges. And um, nobody in his right mind will um, pay taxes voluntarily if they say so I can refer them to a good psychiatrist um, obviously taxes are exerted but they are you know taxes are there just to maintain another you know I refer to, to this as a Hobbesian um, creature you know you need to feed the monster Unfortunately. Well, that's another topic altogether <laughs> because this is complex enough. And I hope that um, I haven't stunned you 
judging by the silence, <laughs> um, because the formation of interest rates is relevant. It is topic of another uh, course, but it comes in here because it is an input in the, in the production of capital goods, producer goods. So that concludes what I had to say. Sorry for the furious pace I had to use, but you can actually find every word of the professor in uh, his description of the hexagonal model. And of course, the discovery of price formation. You can Google that, you will find it. It's on, it's on top of the Google or the Yahoo results. You'll find it immediately. Thank you. Okay, let's have a coffee break and come back. Fine. Okay. I realize that in the last, well, in the previous session, I had about 45 minutes to take you through a relevant but difficult topic. And it may or may not dawn on you what I have said, but the relevance is 100%. The relevance of interest rates is 100% when it comes to capital goods or consumer goods. Oh, sorry, producer goods. The relevance is zero when it comes to consumer goods because in a consumer good, you consume it. You do not need a certain life expectancy that you discount to the to the present uh, in order to arrive at a price. But I've also been to lectures in college where I didn't get certain things and I did my homework. Um, maybe a bit unfair if I said, well, tough, you know, you know, you need to go and read it. I cannot do anything different except take some questions if you have them. Um, and and um, take a lower speed and a lower pace this time. Keith. Question. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the relationship, who the inventor is and the relationship with the Inuit hand? I didn't quite understand okay. why a working person would be contracting directly with an inventor. Right. Please understand, these are roles. Could be different persons, but they could be the same person. And I'll, I'll explain this again, because... Has everybody got this? Yeah. I can write it again anyway. <laughs> We have the... Annuitant, in the bottom here, we have the inventor, and we have the entrepreneur. These are roles, could be different persons, but when interest rates are zero, there is no person who would assume this role 
except that the young, let's call them a subsistence farmer, or a fisherman, or a baker, in a subsistence economy where interest rates are zero, what does the young person do? If he can get away with it, he would save some time and try to think about a tool that would make his life easier. So that role will drop back on him. Okay. It is a role. But of course, when interest rates climb a bit higher, you may get specialist people. And then the young person here will assume the role of the inventor and he will make a living out of this because he will get certain people to sponsor him. Not only one, maybe one, maybe. I mean, who was Michael, Michelangelo in the 15th century? Painter. He was a painter, he was an inventor, he was, you know, he wasn't a farmer, for sure. Right. But he had several roles and yet he lived. Where did he make his income from? As time progresses, of course, he was a young. First, he was a young painter, and as an old, as an older person, he became an inventor and what have you. He devised helicopters and machines. But due to the fact there was no capitalist <coughs> available, there was no capitalist system. The plans of Michelangelo did not materialize. Otherwise, he would start a helicopter factory. Okay, I'm getting one step ahead here. Right. You know, my, my misunderstanding, my question just simply was, is it really the annuitant hand that would be providing financing to the inventor, or is it the investment banker and the annuitant? You know, just, I'm just thinking about a 30-year-old wage earner not um, being in a position to provide that kind of risk financing. Okay. Yes, really. uh, maybe you think about it, it's, it's the time factor. Just like the young guy is saving for his future and the wealth is built up, the inventor is doing stuff today that will come into fruition down the road That's when right. he's finished. Then it will pay off. So he's working towards a future good. Yeah. And the entrepreneur has cash right now to invest in the machine. Go. He's not talking about the future. And so it's the connection of the wealth on the right side of this chart. Both of them have wealth, or one of them has wealth and needs wealth, the roles. And on this side, the image doesn't need wealth, needs income to support him while he's developing his investment, or his, uh, his invention. Oh, okay. It's not so much that he's going to the new hand for the income, it's just that he's in a position of needing that income. Yes, yeah. and that's what he meant. And the entrepreneur doesn't need income, he needs capital. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay, good. Thank you. Exactly. In this, this, Thank you. I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming to you. The entrepreneur has, I mean, these people have capital. They don't. They are, remember I said earlier, they're net long of present wealth and they're net short of present. Yeah, it just, it just clicks. Long of future. Well, the entrepreneur doesn't necessarily have capital. He needs capital. The new attempt has capital. On the left side, the inventor doesn't need capital. What he needs is income. And the new attempt has income. Yes. So there's an analogy between the inventor and the new tan, 
but not really a contractual relationship. They didn't really engage with each other. Probably. You, you can. You can. They can, but... But it presumes this. Otherwise, at when, when zero, but this falls down. I mean, right, 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 right. Could be, could not be. I mean, there's nothing to prevent the uh, retiree to convert some of his gold all over into silver and then with a small silver coin go to, go to the baker and purchase bread. He disholds. But he can also be, at his old age, still be an entrepreneur. He could be the owner of incorporated bakeries, which happens to be some, but he owns them. Right. Um, but not when interest rates, well, when interest rates are zero, it would be difficult to imagine. It would pay off. There is no, I mean, there is no interest rate, there is no dividend either. But he could be the owner of a miller, or a mill, I mean, he may, he may have a windmill, if we go back in time, you know. Well, right, your point is very well taken during that era, the society was very stagnant, there was very little investment, very little entrepreneurship, and things didn't change. Right after the collapse of um, the Roman Empire, for sure, I mean, imagine, imagine. Right up to um, for 10 centuries later, 1,000 years later, until the 14th century, things calmed down and gold came, well, gold was in hiding because it was a stressful time and stresses were less and things became back to normal. Gold comes out of hiding and it goes into circulation again. Not that times were beautiful, remember the play. Yes. Uh, maybe I'm not deep in traditional <coughs> economics, but I still don't get it. Why is it important that, um, or why is the inventor only working if interest is high? That's, um, I'm not getting it. Well, the importance of a system of exchange, is, is, that's, that's basically the point of your question. Maybe. Well, they can't get capital because no one will lend it. Zero. Yes. But they would love to borrow us here, but nobody would give it to them. In essence, yes. Because now, here have, you have a specialist inventor. Somebody who is, let's make it, um, well, Michelangelo would be a perfect example of a habit, but a blacksmith. A blacksmith is a person who works, but he's also he can he can bend metal without. He can devise tools. In the old days, he was used by the uh, kings. And if we introduce patches, you know we have to devise another person here who extracts money from somebody else. But he made a blacksmith devise armor for him and his horse in exchange for protection. Sounds of you know, protection rackets. But uh, the role of the blacksmith was also that of the inventor. He devised swords and 
and what have you, a javelin and, and but the role of the inventor at zero interest rate could be the same with the same person because I mean when, when there is when, you know you need you need you need a certain kind of exchange. These inventors will render their services. Now he hasn't got wealth, so he he, he will actually need some kind of income. Take 25 people here who will each take one twenty-fifth of their salary, pay to the inventor, he will make one invention for all of them. He can live. Take the entrepreneur. No difference from today. In exchange for their capital, he can expand his business. And he will give up the new, he will give up part of the new wealth in exchange for income. This guy needs income. He has wealth. But here it's a bit more difficult to picture because they're short of wealth. But they are long of future wealth. They are devising tools. The blacksmith can devise a plow if he thinks long and hard enough. And they did. The inventor can make spinning machines, steam machines. Not now, he can't produce them right now. He needs, in the three years that he thinks of this, he needs income. But he is long on future income. It's, it's difficult to explain and to grasp. And I'm a bit of a newbie here, but I hope I... Is everybody with me here? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes. We'll do a very good job on this in the future, of course. But uh, I'm very glad that you fitted it in because <coughs> at least people have a taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I find this, uh, this uh, very exciting, the hexagonal market, because it all fills. Uh, I <coughs> suggestions from. Seventh protagonist to this, and I said, Who would that? Well, of course, the financial speculator. And I said, Fine, you go ahead and work it out. That was three years ago. You're still working it out. <laughs> That's because he needs an annuitant to provide income. <laughs> That makes me think about what I just said about the um, taxing authorities, um, but let's make a generic name for taxing authorities. Everybody who makes a living from the fruits of somebody else's labor. <laughs> the parasite. That would be the parasite, it would be the, se the seventh person, um, but that would not, not do justice to this model because this, this is a social justice model because everybody delivers something in exchange for something else. And nobody is stealing. No stealing. There is a fair exchange at a fair rate decided by all parties. 
at arm's length, if you like, if, to, if only to use the tax jargon here. But uh, the taxman is not fair. Yes. Uh, well, I would maybe disagree to a small point because the, the one less capital, I mean, I could have also inherited or got it somehow, and I put my capital to work for me, to receive interest. But me, I'm not interested if the entrepreneur policy doing whatever, I don't care as long as I get my interest back. I'm not interested in the way he conducts business. But he still has a valuable product to exchange power of his capital wherever it came from. It's still a valuable product that needs to go out into the market make, the market to do well. Make, make no mistake, make no mistake. This new tenant with a T has accumulated, of course, his own fruits of his labor during his lifetime. But he adds that to the gold of his father and his grandfather, because the curious. He doesn't give that up, because the gold bond, make no mistake, the bond is repayable at maturity. So he gets his gold back. He doesn't lose any gold, in fact, he makes more. But does he bear any risk at all, or is he risk-free at all this? I mean, did you 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 even in the old ancient Roman times, and I'm coming to you again, the, um, there was an old saying where um, the legislator, or at least the developed rules of society, would say, you know, leave your trust where you have left it, or find your trust again where you have left it. There's no such thing as zero risk. Of course, the reputations of people What's the risk of the investment banker here? He always makes a profit, right? The investment banker is at risk of losing his reputation. Because, well, first of all, he needs a good reputation, otherwise nobody will hand him, trust him with business. But, of course, a reputation is what you build up over time. So he needs to have some capital of his own. Make sure that he is a good investment banker by not mismatching maturities and go out of business and lose everybody else's money. He needs to be correct. He, if he cheats, he loses his good name. And make sure, make no mistake. Today's world, maybe this is crazy. This sounds crazy. Like you know, <laughs> you know, we just start another business, give it another name. No, no, no. There is some kind of social control. We know that Mr. XYZ is behind this business and um, he's gone out of business several times. We will not trust him that with our money. His reputation is at stake. And the risk is, re is reduced by everybody who, who... Well, you cannot eliminate risk. Really, you were first. Yeah, I'd like to address your first question. 
And if you look back in history, before this was developed, only the bottom part existed really. And generally this was an in-family situation. The father had the wealth and the younger ones worked, for example, the farm. Now, the uh, protagonist who came in of this banker, investment banker, made it possible to extend this type of setup to third parties. And you're exactly right. You don't need to know who is the entrepreneur, who is the inventor. You don't care because someone else is taking care of that role. If there was no uh, investment banker or capitalist, then you would have to take on that role. That role is compressed to the first level. In this way it's expanded. And, all, and how many inventors do you know? How many, you know what I'm saying? You can't know all the ones in the world. But some specialist makes it his, his job to find out who these inventors are, who these entrepreneurs Match are. may occur. Yeah. He brings them together, yes. Uh, uh, Say it again, please. Matchmaker, match 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 yes, or, or market maker in investment, or a market maker. This is a legitimate value-added role. So any profit he makes is clearly dependent on the value he adds. It's not being extracted. As voluntarily chosen. If the merchant banker, matchmaker in the gold bond market, has any sense, he will refrain from making loans with other people's money to princes and kings. <laughs> History provides a very good example. Take the downfall of the Medici Bank. Sandeep, you have read the book. Obviously the professor also, but most loans from merchant bankers to kings and bishops, popes, went afoul and causing downfall of the entire bank and of course bankrupting several people here. So the reputation and the risk all comes to the central point that, that I mean you, you, you need some kind of mechanism and but the responsibility of those people is also very huge. And don't make loans to war mongers. Which would be the same in the case of the Pope and the kings in those in those days. <laughs> yes. Warmongers are, I mean, that, that would be a total list. Yes. Yes. One comment and one question. Comment. It, that sounds to me like, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, Menger or Bastia, um, but that an economy, you cannot, um, an economy cannot consist of more s services than, uh, it cannot produce more services than it receives. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's, um, it's, uh, it's fictitious or, 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 or... Remember the feedback element? Or um, uh, cheating. Yeah. Question, going back to your sticker price on the tractor. Yes, my favorite. <laughs> I, um, I accept that a change in interest rate will change the value of the tractor. I understand time, value, money, and all that. Um, but what I didn't like about your explanation, and here's my question, is it seems to assume that farmers were rational buyers. And um, that's one thing that I think this whole uh, theory of financial um, economics or whatever, uh, 
things assumed to be rational. We are all rational consumers and rational investors. Right? And, and so, uh, obviously, the farmer is not rational necessarily in that sense. So, hot, uh, what's your answer? There's always room for exception, um, but if you're nutty enough to pay more, you mean is well, it, would, it, I mean, it would not be rationally obvious to a farmer that because the interest rates have gone up, oh, okay, the okay. value of the future output of that tractor is worth less. Don't underestimate farmers. <laughs> but um, I get I get your point. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of people are not rational in, in business and entrepreneurs and so forth. The market tends to have a solution for them, which is their capital tends to be transferred over. They store some of their capital, and the rest is transferred over to others that are not as foolish. So, some farmer makes the mistake of overpaying for tractor because it's shiny, and the guy bought the nice steak dinner with, uh, with with alcohol. Then three years from now, when he's struggling and he's under, you know, he's behind on his payments, the bank takes it over, and then someone else who's not, uh, who's more financially sophisticated, uh, ends up ends up owning the track, the used tractor, and and the and the land. That, that's it. Yes, uh, I started out by saying don't underestimate the farmer, and um, I, will get, I will get to that, because farmers are not necessarily mathematically inclined to think that way, but we shouldn't underestimate them, because we don't know, and today's farmer certainly is uh, a businessman, um, maybe not at those, in those days or in the past, but um, the, the market tends to punish, to dash out punishment, and that is certainly, that will not have escaped anybody. Um, the interest rates can move again, you know, this, during the life of the trip. And this is an insidious process. Under, under stable, I mean, the old farmers were longer in business because they didn't care about interest rates. They shouldn't have, because they were stable. And this is now the insidious process of capital destruction through the back door. I think if your farmer has to borrow the money to buy the tractor, it's more immediately obvious to him that it's going to cost him more. But if if the farmer is cash buyer, then but that makes no difference because he has opportunity costs with his cash. Shall I buy the tractor or shall I only, well, shall I put the money for the tractor somewhere else to make a return and then? I mean, both have a return, the tractor and the bank account, if you can call it this way. But for the producer, the tractor has not uh, lost value. That's what he thinks. Well, you could argue that it's actually increased in value. Here's a question. What's the I value? Explain why. What's the price of the tractor when the Fed drove down interest rate to zero? <laughs> right. Well, that was, that's the other, that's where I was leading up to. Coming, coming from Professor Fekete, this is a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, uh, I didn't think of this, and let's, let's give it a thought. If the interest rate would be zero, I would be inclined to say there's no business. Uh, <clears throat> it is zero. So still well, today, but we're not under a gold standard. Okay, with the Fed, we're not, we're talking about pain. Well, um, 
mathematically the price of a tractor would be the cash flow discounted now at zero interest zero. rate which would give me an infinite price here, a non-existent price. The tractor can only work for a million years, so that it would be contained. But you cannot arrive at a net present value for that tractor due to the fact that in your mathematical formula there is a zero. Basically, my answer would then be any good guess. We lose our ability to count. Can I just interject here and say that the gentleman on my left is going to explode if he's not allowed to speak a sentence? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting really Think about the, the, the farmer and his irrational decision. The, let's suppose he has already bought the tractor. Then he's caught up in this whatever price going up, price going down. He's, he's got the tractor. The only difference is. Is the interest rate going up? Yeah, any, any capital destruction that takes place, he's actually in it. If he has not yet bought the tractor, he will either know that this is happening or not. If not, he'll buy the tractor and he'll be in the same shoes. So I think that that's all it is. He doesn't do all this calculation, what you said, but he's going to be prudent anyways. He will, without knowing what he's getting into, go and buy that tractor at the wrong price because the sticker price hasn't changed. Is that... Am I in the right place when I say this to you? Does that answer it? Well, that, that doesn't matter to me. Well, it's a misallocation of capital. Because, you see, so whether you've already allocated the capital or not, it's obviously a big step. But if you're not aware that you're misallocating, you're misallocating anyways, because you're not totally rational. Okay. Could you perhaps once more explain why within falling rates uh, capital is destroyed in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's a more lecture. That's another lecture. That's a except, think it's of a, a bond, if you get a 10% bond at $100,000 face value, it brings $10,000 cash flow. A 5% bond brings a $5,000 cash flow. So interest rates go from 10 to 5, the cash flow of that bond is it's still at 10 because it's already booked. So a new bond holder or a new bond buyer would have to buy a $200,000 bond to get the same cash flow. So the market value of this bond change, of the old bond changes to match the interest rates. That's the seesaw effect. Is that clear? Is that okay? Yeah, it's the value is inflated. Yeah, so whoever has bought the old bond, whoever uh, sold the old bond is paying this high rate and the new competitor will be able to compete on an uneven playing field. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very curious to my exam question about the mm -hmm. zero interest rates and the <laughs> price because actually you put a good question but I don't know the answer except that I've after answer I don't know of mm -hmm. a good price. If the interest rate goes up, what happens to the price of the sticker or the value of the tractor? Well, you need to take the same amount of productive life and discount that to a... a if the interest rate goes down, oh. up to a new lower um, net present value of that useful life. Basically, the farmer overpaying for a useful life would be full, but the, pr the, the, the sticker price will be driven down. Now, one word answer. So if the price, if the interest rate goes up, then the 
price of the truck goes should, should should be driven down, yeah. Now, if the interest rate goes down, the value of the tractor goes it it up. should go up. Up. Um, but there is a problem. What is the problem? The problem is not the, the problem is that interest rates are one pressure, but it is well. I mean. It's not you to decide to, to go for a higher price. It would be somebody else's, um, because, I mean, who, who, who purchased this? Uh, the end user, the end user buys it. Do cash flow and present audience will give you the answer. Yeah. The price of the tractor is bound to go up. Yeah. So if the rate of interest goes to zero, the value of the tractor goes to infinity. Mm. Which cannot be. Which cannot be. No, that only assumes the tractor is an infinite lifespan. If the tractor is a 10 year lifespan, it's not infinity. It's a no. time for each of 10 years, and it's a finite series that ends. It's only valid for perpetuity. So, so if, the, if the tractor produces $10 of income per year and has a 10 year lifespan, it's 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10 is 100. I know. Period. Right? Am I missing something? Well, yeah, no. But it's the price. The price would be a good guess because you cannot pay an infinite amount. I'm saying it would be a hundred dollars in that case, which would be the added series. The added series, which is a finite series, not yeah. an infinite series. Yeah. Well, what this example tells me is that zero interest rate is a contradiction. Just, just as well, I mean, even with very, very low, nearly zero interest rates, you know, you would think that farmers would say, wow, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, I'm buying a second combine and a third combine and more land, and I mean, it's, as you say, they cannot be fooled. Farmers are no fools. We shouldn't underestimate. I'm not underestimating the farmer at all. Natural selection. In fact, a smarter farmer, quite a doctor. Oh yeah. But also, I mean, even if they are not mathematically minded, you don't need a better mathematician to come to the same conclusion. You know, interest rates are dropping. Why should I buy now or invest now? Wait six months. See what it does. No, sorry, your interest rate was right. Well, in, in the case of lowering interest rates you would be induced to purchase more equipment, but they're not.
You don't have to be mathematically minded because the question is this. Production from the factor, additional production, can it amortize mm. the cost? But at zero interest, I mean, it's very easy to beat. So, you know, the incentive should be there to buy that tractor. And, and, and yet it's not happening. Yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, you, you can't uh, make people, can, you cannot fool all the people all the time. Pushing on a string. That's exactly it. I haven't got a watch here. Uh, what's our time limit? It's going to be 12. 20 to 12. Okay, then. So, thank you. And no, thank you. Come back at 2.30 for... Uh, I'm going to give a lecture on the... Uh, what is it? The... Uh, Defensive strategy?